It's time to add a little joy into your routine. And one of our favorite ways to do that is with Best Fiends. This is probably my favorite game. It's easy to see why. Best Fiends is a match-three style mobile puzzle game where you collect and grow your fiends to defeat slimy slugs. I love it because beating a new level on the first try feels like it's your birthday. Well done. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love hearing that at the end. I'm on level 384, and with thousands more waiting for me, I can dive into this. Plus, the pop-up challenges are super fun. You've earned your fun time. Go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. This week on Myths and Legends, it's an adventure tale from Romania, where we see that the dark forest is just packed full of bald guys. How to make some sleepy time tea for that bear guarding the talking lettuce, and if that bejeweled deer you just decapitated keeps talking to you, you might want to wait a minute. The creature this time is a Japanese priest, who just wants you to stop fishing with poison. This is Myths and Legends, episode 285, Grin and Barrett. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's episode is a literary fairy tale from Romania. It's a fairly epic story that seems like it wants to bring in as many fairy tale tropes as possible. But really, I just found it to be a lot of fun. It's by the author Ion Krienga, Moldovian and Romanian writer, educator, and defrocked priest. The story itself appears to be very culturally important in Romania, and I tried to stay as true to the versions that I could find as possible. We'll jump in with a king who only wants his sons to not be lazy and bad. Is that really too much to ask? The prince was going to his uncle, the Green Emperor. The Green Emperor had asked for the old king's best and most intelligent son. The Green Emperor would make that son his heir and give the son the choice of one of the Green Emperor's three daughters. Not wanting to pass up the opportunity to gain control of an empire and marry, yes, one of his uncle's daughters, the eldest son mounted his horse and made his way with his father's blessing. Then he spotted the bear. It was in the road ahead. It was massive. Probably. The son had never seen a bear before. He had spent most of his life in the castle. The horse seemed to know what was up, though, and reared. The bear took notice and started lumbering toward the prince. Rar, rar. Growl. The son knew what he should do. He should press forward despite his fear. But also, bears were scary. The bear took one more step forward, and the prince decided, nope, he was done here. The life of an emperor wasn't for him. He ditched his horse and ran for home. When he disappeared around a bend in the road, the bear took off his own head. The old king breathed. Wow, that bear suit was getting hot. <sighs> he sighed. Too bad about his coward of a son. He had always suspected that that boy didn't have what it took. Then, he thought about how fast his son had run in the other direction. Oh, shoot. Yeah, you know, I just thought that 
maybe ruling isn't for me, right? It's like, know your limits and stuff. I'll give one of the other brothers a shot at it. I'll go into the clergy or be part of the idle rich. Just, emperor isn't for me, the eldest son said, sweat soaking his silk shirt. Why are you breathing so hard and sweating? The old king asked. The eldest prince said, oh, no reason. Wait, why was his dad breathing so hard and sweating? The king sopped the sweat off his brow with a handkerchief. Oh, no reason also. Great, cool, the dad and son said and parted ways. The son to join the ranks of important people who did nothing and the dad to find a way to air dry his bear costume. That thing was going to get rank if he had to do this for three boys. And he did. The second brother fared a bit better than the first. He got a little bit closer before bravely tying his horse to a tree so the bear would be delayed long enough, eating his ride for him to make an escape. The king loudly lamented, saying, as one translation puts it, for a pie they go ahead, for a fight they hide in bed. Except for Harap Alb, the third son. He didn't hide in bed. He pounded on the door of his dad's bedroom, who, lamenting that his sons wouldn't rule their kingdom, sat in his room, staring at the wall. He wouldn't hear Harap Alb's pleas. The king couldn't bear to be shamed again. Moping around in the courtyard, Harap Alb heard a woman address him. Why don't you throw away the sorrow of your heart? I know you are destined for blessings and luck, the old woman said. Now, give me some money. What? Harab Alb shook his head. What was she talking about? Give her money? Yeah, alms. The strange elderly woman held out her hand. Look, not to be rude, but I'm not in the mood to talk to some stranger, Harab Alb said. And not to belabor the point, but you really should, the old woman said. I'm just saying, you're at an impasse. As the titular character, you're obviously part of a grand destiny. So maybe accept the help of your mentor character at this stage of the hero's journey. The kid thought about it. Oh, okay, so what news do you have for me? Uh, that depends. What sort of money do you have for me? Remember? Alms? The woman asked. Hands still outstretched. Harrop Alb dropped some coins in her palm. She counted. Oh, good enough. She shoved them into her pocket and grabbed both sides of the prince's head, telling him to look deep into her eyes. Okay, she was getting something. He needed to go back to his father, the king, ask, no demand, for a shot at the trip to the green emperor's court. He should do so by asking for his dad's old stuff from when he went adventuring. It would take the old king by surprise enough, and he wouldn't immediately say no. In fact, he would be confused. His old stuff was old. His sword was rusty, his clothes worn and ragged. His horse old. In fact, he wouldn't be able to remember which horse he took. After she told him a bit more, she removed her hands and said that this was their story's beginning. But it wasn't the end. If a mountain could meet another mountain, as one version says, two people can meet again. She covered herself in a white veil slowly rose into the air and vanished in a flash. The crone was correct. 
The request threw the king just enough for Harap Alb to get his foot in the door. He brought out all of his old stuff and said, if the kid was brave enough to try the quest with this, maybe the old king was wrong about how terrible and cowardly his children were. Harap Alb said, uh, thanks? He went to work patching the clothes, polishing the armor and sword, and then he walked to the stables. The crone had told him one other thing about the horse. He could find the horse his father had ridden by taking a plate full of embers to the stables. Each horse would run away from it. All but one. The horse he would take with him into his future kingdom. It would bend down and eat the embers. And that's just what happened. The only horse that came forward was crooked and old. One that was just skin stretched over a skeleton. It leaned down and gulped down some coals without incident. So, of course, Harap Alb beat the horse. That couldn't be the one. He told it to go on, get. He would do worse if it showed up again. But, of course, it did. If someone or something eats hot coals to show their commitment to you, they're committed. Don't make them do it again. But the horse did. Even after Harap Alb beat the horse again with the whip, the horse returned a third time and ate the hot coals. Harap Alb wasn't worried about taking such an old horse on a journey, or about the horse's health. Harap Alb was worried what people would think of him, a prince, on the back of such an old and ugly horse. The horse snorted, rolled its horse eyes, and flipped its mane. When he did, he was, quote, the most beautiful horse in the herd. Also, he talked. Jump on and hold tight, the horse said. And it's pretty much a universal rule in these legends that when a horse speaks, listen. Harap Alb leapt atop the horse's back, and the horse shot up to the clouds, moon, and sun in that order, each time returning to the ground. The horse gave another snort. Fast enough. He liked to see the prince climb up to the sun on his legs. After a long discussion about whether the prince wanted to go as fast as the wind or as fast as a dream, both of which just feel like similes for very fast, and the prince chose as fast as the wind because as fast as a dream sounded scary, Harap Alp returned to his father with the horse, who had taken its aged form. Harap Alp had asked him to do this, in the end, so that he wouldn't be robbed or cursed for driving the horse equivalent of a Lamborghini in a time where people struggled to feed themselves. Harap Alp took his supplies and left at dusk. Now, if you're thinking like dressing up like a bear and threatening armed travelers on the road is a nice way to get sword stabbed in medieval Romania, well, you've already thought about this way more than the king did. He was simultaneously about to get some hooves in the face and a sword to the neck when he held up his bare hands, huh, and begged Harap Alb to stop. The prince had passed the test. He was brave and worthy to continue on the journey. Father and son embraced as the father said he didn't know where they would meet again, but the family's legacy was in capable hands with Harap Alb. The old king gave Harap Alb the bearskin and told the prince to fare well on his journey. The bearskin might aid him too, but he might want to let it air out. Good day. I am Bald Man, the man who was bald, declared, when Harap Alb and the horse were a half-day's journey into the dark forest. 
I'm not sure if he was intentionally obscuring his name and origins or if his parents just had a very specific plan for his life, but we'll follow the story's lead and call him Bald Man. Bald Man said it's dangerous to go alone. Take me. The world was sketchy and the traveler needed someone who could understand the seedier side of things. Hirabalb said, no thanks, and spurred the horse onward. He rode on a few more hours through the dark forest, not really knowing which way to go, when he met another man. Another bald man. A servant who really wanted to help the prince. Would the prince hire him? He was going for the low, low price of get me out of this forest, please. The prince declined his offer, this time a little more ominously, with his hand on his saber. The bald servant chuckled. No worries. Understood. Good luck out there. And Harapalb would need it, because he soon came to a fork at the center of the dark forest, Harapalb swore. In a bit of off-camera prejudice, he said he was annoyed. His father, the old king, had warned Harapalb against bald men and their insidious offers for service. Quick aside, we've encountered a lot of prejudice on this podcast, this is the first time reading of male pattern baldness, which affects over half the population of men over the age of 40, so the king must have had a very limited, very follically lush group of male servants. Regardless, the son didn't carry the values of his father and was really wishing he had taken the bald man up on his offer for guidance, and that other unrelated bald man, who also wanted to guide him. And who was more than willing to help our hero but a third bald man, also named Bald Man, unrelated though, he had been crouching in the nearby bushes. Bald Man emerged again, and he greeted Harap Alp, who was surprised that this was the third bald man he met in these woods. These woods were just full of bald men. Far from informing Harap Alp that they were all the same guy, Bald Man said that there were only bald men in these woods. If he wanted help, he would have to trust a bald man. Harapalb said, wow, looked like he was in bald man's land. Sure, could the bald man help him? And he hired bald man as his shield bearer to walk beside the horse. Whoops, bald man said, tripping with the canteen of water and holding it upside down for like 20 or 30 more seconds. Why didn't you turn it back over? Harap Alb said, inspecting the empty canteen. Oh, is that what you're supposed to do? Bald man said, shaking his head. Princes were so wise. Regardless, he didn't want that water anyway. That water had fouled. There was a well not too far from here. So, there are portions that kind of stretch our suspension of disbelief. Like Harap Alb having never seen a well. Bald man led him to an idyllic valley, and there was one of those quaint stone wells at the center. Harap Alb looked at the place. This was fantastic. You'd never know they were in the dark forest. This was great. The bald man pointed at the well. Well, if the prince thought this was nice, then he should check out the actual well. It was cool and wet and very relaxing. Maybe bald man felt like that was swinging for the fences, but hey... If you're an evil dark forest dweller and you have the chance to trap a prince in a well to get whatever you want from him, shoot your shot. The prince smirked. Wow. Yeah, that did look refreshing. You just 
climb down those slippery stones into the uncertain watery darkness below? Bald man, maybe not believing that this was actually working, said yes. That is what you do. And that's what Harup Alb did. As soon as the prince was away from the lip of the well, bald man put the wood lid on and sat on it. Um, bald man? Bald man said that he now had the upper hand, and Harup Alb would tell him everything, or else his bones would rot in that well. So, Harup Alp did tell the man everything. He told about his bear dad, about the green emperor and the throne, and about marrying his cousin. Bald man laughed. Well, this was easy. If Harup Alb ever wanted to see the sun again, bald man was now the emperor's nephew. Harup Alb was his servant. Um, you're like 40? Swear it! Harup Alb said fine. He swore. Bald Man was the emperor's heir, he was the servant now. The horse returned to see Bald Man poured into Harap Alb's clothes, holding all of his money and commanding the prince. The prince turned to the horse. From now on, Bald Man was the heir and he was the servant. The horse shrugged, indicating for them to just pop on. And this didn't actually happen. The story just kind of forgets that there's a supernatural talking horse with a vested interest in the prince's journey. Both of them ride on the horse, and together they make their way to the court of the Green Emperor. We'll see some talking lettuce, but that will be right after this. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Nine countries and nine seas later, Harap Alb was ragged and waif-like, while Bald Man was fed, happy, and confident as they strode into the courtyard of the Green Emperor. He had the letter of introduction as the old king's youngest son, a letter that didn't include any descriptions whatsoever, so even though Bald Man was pushing 40, the Green Emperor embraced him. Son! The princess, the Green Emperor's daughter and Harap Alb's cousin, was a little less enthusiastic to embrace the stranger. Especially when, later on that night, she witnessed Bald Man strike Harap Alb across the face when the young man tried to enter the palace. Bald Man pointed to the stables. That's where Harap Alb could sleep, in the hay with the manure. Bald Man turned to the princess. Can you believe this guy wanting to sleep in the house? Servants, am I right? The princess grimaced, and the pair headed off to dinner. Lettuce! Have you ever had such amazing lettuce in all your life? The emperor bellowed. And while the story does spend more time on lettuce than usual, it was noteworthy lettuce. They melted in your mouth. The table was literally speechless afterward. 
The color was a deeper green than emeralds. They were soft yet brittle, and, burying the lead, oh yeah, they could talk. Because that's what we all want from our food. It talking to us. Bald man had to know where these marvelous lettuces came from. And the emperor was happy to tell him, after the necessary cooling off period, from when you ate the lettuce. The king said that the lettuce was super rare. In fact, the only way to get it was to travel to the other side of the world. It was in a cave there, guarded by a giant bear. The king had something like a medieval shipped shopper, if your shipped shopper was a caveman who had to fight bears to get groceries. My servant will do it, bald man said. The emperor said, thanks, but they were good. They already had plenty of lettuce, and my servant will do it. Can always use more magic lettuce, right? Bald man took another bite of the lettuce, and then sat back as the soft, brittle, talking vegetable melted in his mouth. When that was done, bald man made it clear that he wasn't taking, don't do that seriously, we don't need it, as an answer. He called Harap Alb and told him about this new quest. He was to leave immediately. He could take the horse. Once again, I don't know what the horse's whole deal was, but he was happy to help. Jump to the other side of the world? Sure, why not? Help you out of unfair servitude to an evil dark forest guy? Oh, sorry, no dice. Regardless, the horse bounded to the sea, where, apparently being the medieval version of those spy cars that can turn into boats, as soon as the horse touched the water, it became a seahorse. Hey, Harabalb, the prince heard. When his foot touched sand, he narrowed his eyes. Crone? It's Holy Sunday Lady. According to one version, my name is Holy Sunday Lady. Please call me Holy Sunday Lady. She didn't know if Harap Alb realized this, but Bald Man? Bald Man wanted to kill him. That's why he sent Harap Alp to this magic bear's cave. But she would help Harap Alp get those weird, delicious, talking lettuces. Because Harap Alb had a good heart. The plan was a simple one. Bears are a lot more docile when they're unconscious. So, the Holy Sunday Lady drugged the bear's water supply. For good measure, Harap Alp used the bear skin from his dad's tricks. And soon, he was running from the bear's cave, armful of talking lettuce. He hugged and thanked Holy Sunday Lady, leapt back on the horse, and made his way back to the Grain Emperor's palace. You did what? Bald Man screamed, then realized that the whole court was looking at him. <laughs> he meant, what? Great job, Harap Alb, for going to get that lettuce. At the next dinner, Bald Man laid eyes on way too many gemstones. He learned that these weren't just any gemstones. These came from a deer's head, a deer that could kill with a look. Anyone who hunted it died, but some came later and picked up the gemstones. Ooh, dibs, dibs, I call dibs on this quest, bald man giggled. The room said, no one offered a quest? My servant, Harap Alb will bring the skin of the stag with not just a few gems, but all of them, bald man said, shoving Harap Alb out the door. Harap Alb went straight to Holy Sunday Lady this time. She, of course, had a plan. It involved more sneakiness, crouching beside a spring where the stag went to drink, but this time it was a little bit riskier. The youth had to lay there unseen and unheard, and when the stag bent down to take a drink, 
take off its head with one motion. That was just the beginning, as Harib Al would learn. Ow! Well played, the stag said after Harib Alb cut off its head. You're still talking? Harib Alb replied. Uh, yeah, because I'm so impressed. Come up here and let me have a look at you, the severed head of the jeweled deer said. Harib Alb said he was pretty sure he shouldn't do that. There was a long pause. Ah, you got me. You're right. I would have killed you with a glance. You passed that final test, though. Come on out of that hole and get your prize, the deer cheered. Harapalp started to rise when, wait a minute, what's to stop the deer from using his death vision to kill the prince now? There was another long pause. Ah, you got me, the deer started. The next several hours were variations of that, but by nightfall, the stag was silent. And about an hour after that, Harab Alb ventured a look. The stag was dead. He peeled the skin off of it, which, gross, and took it back to the court of the Green Emperor. Because threes are inescapable in fairy tales, that night at dinner, there was a knock at the window. Hey everybody, what's up? It was a talking bird. Unlike the talking lettuce though, this was wholly unexpected. It's cool that you guys are like having fun in there, having your little feasts and all that while the daughter of the Red Emperor lives in grief. I wish I had that little empathy and could enjoy cool parties while people suffered. But I guess that's just how we're different, the bird said. Before flapping off, everyone stood transfixed. Uh, what? Divided on who or what the Red Emperor was, the court argued that he was a tyrant who kept his daughter captive. Some thought that he was the bird just flying around to stir stuff up. What they knew, though, was that bald man's guy... Bald man's guy had this one, right? What? Bald man said, mid-bite of food. Yeah, you're always volunteering that kid's servant up for dangerous quests, so, I don't know, mind sending him to find out what's going on with the Red Emperor? Bald man said, oh, uh, sure, yeah, why not? Honestly, it hadn't even crossed his mind. We'll meet five superpower guys and a murder king, but that will, once again, be right after this. Harabab looked ahead of him. What? the horse asked, annoyed that it was slowing. Harabab pointed out, on the bridge ahead, there were ants. So, the horse asked, so we should go around, so we don't step on the ants, the prince said, and didn't even wait for the horse to agree, even though the only way around was through the river. Thank you, brave hero, Harap Alb heard, somehow. He turned the horse to see the ants, scurrying toward him. They cried out that he took pity on them, so they would show their gratitude by offering him this gift, the wing of a flying ant. Harapalb said, okay, cool, ant wing, what a bounty. The ants nodded, yes, yes it was. 
Harab Alb should burn that wing when he was in trouble, and the ants would come to his aid. Harab Alb tucked that in his back pocket, not terribly sure how ant aid would help him, and continued on. He was a thoughtful prince, so when bees took up residence in his helmet, when he set it down, it wasn't some weird Nicolas Cage thing, Harab Alb hollowed out a log and stuffed it full of sweet grasses, earning a bee wing in return. Then he chanced on Gerilla. He spotted a man-like creature with long ears by a fire. Sitting by a fire was the only way he could speak, because apparently he had frost breath. You'll want me to come with you. There are things only I can do for you, and you'll need my help, the man shrieked, his breath freezing, the moisture in the air around him. Harabalb said, I mean, this was getting a little weird, but okay. Having a friend with frost breath sounded cool. If you've heard the story, The Fool of the World and His Flying Ship, we've told it before on this podcast, the following is kind of similar to that. Next up, Harab Alb met a guy who was always hungry. He had just eaten two cows, a ship, and was still complaining about his aching stomach. His name was Hungrilla. He joined the party. Next up was a guy who just drank 20 lakes. His name was Thirsty. I was next, a man with an eye as big as a plate who could see the center of the earth. Next up was Mr. Fantastic. Not really named that. His name was Birdie, but he was a stretchy guy. He could catch birds with his bare hands like we all want to do. Six of them, the five super guys and one Harab Alb, entered the city of the Red Emperor. Now, the Red Emperor wasn't that bad of a guy. I mean, he wanted to brutally murder any man who came to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage, but that has to account for about like 40% of kings in these stories. Harab Alb doesn't come off sounding all that much better, though, when he told the emperor to, quote, give him the princess now. The Red Emperor said, of course, of course. It was late, though. He would be happy to put Harab Alb and his friends up in the famous copper house. It was a house made of copper. The furniture was copper, too, which made for an uncomfortable night. It would have been so much more uncomfortable if Gorilla hadn't been with them, because as soon as the men were overmastered by sleep, the Red Emperor's guys started heating the room. Thanks to Gorilla, though, it was kind of the perfect temperature. They emerged from the room relatively well-rested and confused as to why everyone was looking at them like they were superhuman. Next up, the Red Emperor invited them to a feast, which was a big mistake. Hungrilla and Thirsty drained the food stores and the wine. The Red Emperor, annoyed, said he had another task for the potential suitors. They maybe weren't aware that they were actually in a competition yet because they had just stayed in a room and had a dinner, but they said sure. What did the Red Emperor have for them? The Red Emperor showed them seven cubic feet of sand and poppy seeds all mixed together. Harap Alb just had to sort the poppy from the grains of sand by morning. Leave them in two piles. Thanks. Hungrilla swore. If only he had an ant's mouth. Using... Another fairy tale trope. Harap Alb remembered that he had a flying ant wing in his pocket that he somehow didn't lose. He burned it, and the ground looked like it was moving. They swarmed over the sand and poppy like those green guys in Lord of the Rings, and when they left, the sand and poppy were sorted. The king shrugged. Wow, yeah. Harap Alb did it. Well, 
he had one final task for the young man, who would definitely be able to leave with the princess if he could keep the princess from leaving. It seemed easy enough. Just hang out outside the princess's room and don't let her leave. Oh yeah, and if she left, the king would have Harap Alp's head. It sounded easy enough, but Harap Alp knew that there had to be a catch. So to catch the princess from leaving, he enlisted his own Mr. Fantastic, Bertie, and their resident Sauron, I. Just after dark, they saw the princess take off from her room in the form of a bird. There it was. The trick. When you have a guy that can stretch to any lengths, and another who can see anything, it's kind of hard to hide. The princess tried, though, and ended up on the dark side of the moon. The stretchy guy grabbed her, and they deposited her back in her room, where the princess landed with a resigned harumph. That was it. After so much runaround, the Red Emperor finally agreed to let Harap Alb marry the princess. If he could pick her out of a crowd. Honestly, I'm kind of speeding through this part of the story because I'm tired of it. You're probably tired of it. I can't imagine how tired Harab Alb was. But yeah, one more trial. The king had been preparing for this day for years, probably. There in the courtyard, the princess stood next to two other women who looked exactly like her. Only one was the true princess. And Harab Alb had to choose her or lose his head and wait. Was Harap Al burning a B-wing? I'm not sure if you ever saw that fairly terrible movie, Jupiter Ascending. But in folklore like in that, bees recognize royalty. The bee landed on the princess's cheek, and Harap Alb made the right choice. The Red Emperor was just so happy for them. So glad it worked out. He wasn't mad. You're mad. The princess was resigned to her fate, which is what you want in a spouse, but had one final ask for Harabalb, and I know this is a lot of quests, but I promise we're getting to the end. She wanted her turtle dove to go race the horse to get the waters of life and death from the dueling mountains, otherwise she wouldn't go with Harabalb. Harabalb wasn't a bad guy and didn't want to take the princess without her consent, despite literally sending Stretch Armstrong to the moon to grab her and bring her back. Regardless, if this is what it took, sure. And the horse won the race, because he convinced the turtle dove that they were all in terrible danger if he didn't. Which wasn't even a little correct, but still, they won. The horse returned with the waters of life and death, and they all made their way back home. It was on that trip back home that the five guys, the five super guys, called a family meeting. They said that as fun as it had been to travel with Harap Alb, they really only had a king try to murder them multiple times. Harap Alb was the one who was marrying the princess, so yeah, they really felt like it was safer for them to stay in the forest. Harap Alb thanked them for their help. He didn't know they felt that way, but they left anyway. Harap Alb and the princess continued on back toward the realm of the Green Emperor. Yeah, so it turns out the Red Emperor was just doing the fairy tale dad thing for his daughter's wedding. I mean, not cool. But also, I think that bird really played it up. Harap Alb explained to the Green Emperor as the doors to the palace flew open and the bald man emerged into the courtyard to join them. There she is, 
There's my future wife, bald man said when he laid eyes on the red princess. What? The green emperor and the red princess said in unison. The red princess stood next to Harap Alb. It kind of originated in a sketchy place, but she was now fully on board with marrying Prince Harap Alb, not some 40-something pretender. Oh, so you figured it out, bald man muttered. He was hoping to avoid that. Well, not a problem that couldn't be solved. In one motion, the bald man drew a saber and cut off Harab Alb's head. The head rolled in the grass, blood covered the princess and the emperor, and the body slumped down. Harab Alb was dead. There, problem solved, bald man said. Before approaching the green emperor, he raised his saber but paused when he heard a, Master, no! He turned, and his last thought before the horse lifted him into the air was, wait, that horse can talk? I truly do not understand why the horse waited so long to solve the problem of the bald man. He was there when bald man trapped Harab Alb and took over his life. He could have done this at any moment, but instead he waited to the very end to leap halfway to the moon and then let Bald Man go. Bald Man landed with so much force, they still have not found all of him. You've probably heard of Chekhov's gun. It's a principle in storytelling, where everything has a purpose and should be used. Like, if a pistol is in a scene in the first act, it should be fired in a later act. Well, this is Chekhov's water of life. Anytime the water of life shows up in a folktale, the protagonist is going to be brutally murdered and brought back using said water. The princess, ignoring the fate of Bald Man, got to work putting Harap Alb's neck back together and bringing some water of life. She coated his neck, and Harap Alb gasped awake. What happened? Harap Alb and the Red Princess were married in the court of the Green Emperor. Harap Alb's fathers and brothers made the long journey. Gorilla Hungrilla, Thirsty, Birdie, and I attended the wedding alongside, yes, the ants, the bees, and Holy Sunday Lady. Harap Alp and the Princess lived happily ever after. The story kind of ended up in a predictable place, but it was fun getting there. Like I said, this story appears to be culturally important to Romania, with a lot of people using it over the years to understand and communicate Romanian history and politics. And there's a graphic novel of the story from the 70s that I'm still trying to track down. Also, I did find some explanation of the story's strange prejudice towards bald men. There was some thought that it could have been referring to invaders in a time past who shaved their heads. I couldn't find much on this, but that makes a little more sense than a blanket assertion that all men with male pattern baldness are sneaky traitors? I don't know. Next week, we're back in Japanese folklore with three stories of hauntings. And we'll see that if your hotel is filled with headless people, you might be in for a long night. The creature this week is Awanabozu from Japanese folklore. We've all been there. We've been in medieval Japan, poisoning rivers to get fish to float to the surface so we can easily catch them to make a quick buck. No judgments. But then, a priest will walk from downriver, begging to know what you're doing. 
you tell him that you're putting a certain type of spice in the river so the fish come to the surface. The priest sits down and passionately explains to you what you're doing is wrong. He doesn't eat meat, but he understands that others must do what they need to do to survive. He's not begrudging you that you need to take lives to survive, but only begging you not to be excessive about it. You're being greedy and killing for gain. Many times, people will listen to this well-reasoned, passionate argument, put away what is actually called Japanese pepper, and head home for the day. The priest will thank them and walk off. It isn't until later that somehow, the people realize something. The priest, with his glassy, unblinking eyes, clammy, scaly skin, and fin feet shoved in sandals, that priest was a fish. I don't know how you don't realize you're talking to a fish, but that's apparently a thing people don't know. The Iwanabozu is a fish that has survived for over a hundred years and gained some level of self-awareness and also the ability to speak and clothes somehow. Instead of being vicious and attacking fishers on the riverbank, it just pops up in the form of a priest and tries to appeal to reason and just kindness. And it mostly works. There's one famous story where people don't listen to the fish priest. They nod and act like they will, give him some rice balls and send him on his way. After lunch, they resume fishing with their poisonous methods when a giant fish comes downriver. Somehow, they manage to catch it, drag it in and kill it, hoisting it up and bringing it back to their village. It's there that, cutting it open, they find the rice balls in its stomach. It's the priest fish that sacrificed itself. The fishermen are moved to silence. They pronounce that they have done a terrible thing, and the story spreads far and wide that the river is cursed. The people travel elsewhere to do their fishing, and the Iwanabozu, at the end of its long life, has done one final good work for its fellow fish. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>